we tonight are going to be over somewhere. I had it all figured out. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Brother Brian, our secret's still safe. Right. I was going to give you a list tonight, but I forgot. Yeah, it's turkey. You know, other than a little bit in age and somewhat in his responsibilities, he's not changed a lot from his preteen self when I came as a pastor. I announced on Wednesday I'd be speaking tonight on the perfect Christian. And he asked me real serious in the hallway, but he had the smirk. He kind of gave himself away. He's got this look he gets. And he's like, Pastor, can I talk to you just a second? And I thought, eh, he looks like he's going to be strange, but let me see. We went in the office. He goes, I've only told my family between me and you. I haven't told anybody else you're preaching about me on Sunday night. So, <laughs> so tonight I changed the message. I'm preaching on the devil's sin of pride. <laughs> That which took Lucifer from the throne to the pit. And brother, for you, how this does fit. Amen? Hallelujah. So the perfect Christian. We're here. We're here. Oh, boy. You started out as a normal preacher. You'd never have a chance with this crew. I promise you that. But let's look in Ephesians chapter 4. I love it. And uh, look in verse, uh, we'll begin in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from, wh- from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And let me pray with you. Father, it's been a very uh, good and full evening already in the house of the Lord. Thank you for it. I pray you'll bless and help me to be a help to your people with your word tonight. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look, if you will, at this, um, the perfect Christian. If I drew special attention to part of this passage, it would be this part. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, When we talk about a perfect Christian, and I'll deal with this more as we get into the message, but we're dealing with one in the context this word's used what it means in, in this Scripture, what it means in this passage, is, is one that is complete in their fullness. It's complete in, uh, in its parts, that all the parts are there. It's complete in its proportion, that they are what they ought to be. I'll make mention of that again in a few moments. But a perfect Christian is not pointing towards a flawless Christian. Right. It is pointing to a f- one that's fully bodied, that's come into maturity. That's grown and 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 they are they are strong in all the areas of the Christian life, 
And when we look at this, I was taken by that phrase and by that, uh, that term. I've been uh, reading uh, this last week. A lot of my readings were in the book of Ephesians as I've slowly gone through. I've done some word studies in this book and, and really put time into it. And as I came to this and I looked at this, this perfect man talks about, and I thought, what well, makes the perfect Christian? The Scripture supplies the answer in this passage, these verses which we read tonight. And so it ought to be our goal to be a perfect Christian. To be a Christian that's fully mature. To be a Christian that's strong in all areas, no glaring weaknesses. A Christian that's coming into maturity and we'll see so that we are not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. That we're not carried away by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive because there's some who do that. But instead, we can walk and, and be mature and, and, and not be satisfied with staying as babies. There is a corollary situation that is happening, and I've watched it for a number of years. We are familiar with the term, the victim mentality. And, and it shows up uh, by blaming everything around us for our, our own failures and wrong decisions and such. And we're familiar with that to a point where it's almost obnoxious to hear about good times. A corollary that goes with that, though, is, is accepting in our own lives, accepting not seeing real growth in Christ. And I understand some things and when it comes to growth in Christ are hard to see for yourself. But the Bible indicates that we should be able to take stock and see whether or not we are actually going forward in the faith whether we're learning and whether we're growing and whether we're, we're seeing some, some improvement. Um, <clears throat> it ought to be our desire. And I believe for those who are yielded to the Spirit of God, and uh, I, I believe a saved person could be lacking this desire if they've given themselves over to fle- fleshly appetites that may have deadened this desire. But if we are trying to follow the Spirit of God, I believe there's a desire in us to be more Christ-like in what we do. You know, I, I've been amazed in the last three or four weeks. I've had several different ones of you in the congregation here mention about having a desire. You've, you've said it in one way or another, but basically having a desire to listen better when the Lord gives you a little nudge to do something. I had about two or three folks mention that they a little regret they had in recent times that they felt like the Lord was nudging. They didn't quite listen to it, and oh man, I should have listened at that point. And then it's, I've been amazed, it, it's been, um, it's, it's been in, increasing, which is a good thing. This is a very good thing that uh, folks are mentioning, you know, I just want to be, I want to be open to what God's wanting me to do. I like that. That's a good indication. That's a good sign to see. And uh, so what is a perfect Christian? Other than Brother Brian, we understand that. And uh, he'll be waiting to sign your Bible after the service. <laughs> Just in case, <clears throat> but uh, I I'll say no more. For this is indeed Miss Stacy's cross to bear, and not mine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what does the Bible outline in this in this passage? What does it give as a perfect or mature Christ? Here here's some things. Very simple, as all good good solid truths are. Put this down first. He has allowed and is allowing those God has given him to work in his life. He has allowed and is allowing for those that God's given him 
to work in his life. I chose the phrasing because it matches the Scripture. Look in verse 11. And he gave some. Here's what he gave to some people. Apostles. And some prophets. And some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Why? What's the purpose of those being given? For the perfecting of the saints. It's supposed to work together in it. If I bring someone in and they speak to you and maybe they're here doing more than just speaking, maybe going out soul winning with some of you, interacting with us in different ways, I bring in someone. Suppose I bring in Brother Larry Smith who does, is an evangelist. That's what he does. When he comes in, his goal is the same scripturally as my goal is for you and he shares the heart of wanting to perfect, perfect the saints of God. As he goes to different churches and as he speaks in different places, he's desiring to see God's people grow into fullness and maturity. That's what he's doing. He's bringing an aspect of that coming in. When I, as your pastor and teacher, I am uh, uh, teaching is a big part of what goes on, supplying the materials for teaching and teaching and developing these things and teaching you to teach so that you can go way beyond what I can possibly do by myself. As we do this, what are we doing? We're looking to perfect the saints, to bring them to strength. To have them grow and go forward. I know I've often heard you, Brother Carpenter, I've heard you rejoice, uh, different ones on the bus, and you'll see, you know, hey, this one's showing this improvement, and this one's having an interest in things. And why? Because we, we don't have a desire just to see people saved, we want to see them grow in grace. So, a perfect Christian allows those who God's given to them to work in their lives. Um, where where you, you allow people to influence you for good. One of the strongest statements I've written out at length and read in recent months has been a statement I made during conference. And I did a short snippet, uh, not, uh, just a, a quick thing. It, it's, on, it's on the podcast. And it's the, uh, uh, I forget exactly how I phrased it, but it's the uh, thoughts of a a, a broken-hearted yet hopeful pastor, aged, not yet old. And in that, I very carefully wrote out some, some very strong uh, directional statements, from very strong statements about serving the Lord and what I believe is essential for that. One of the things with that is, I made a statement in there, I don't have to have flawless people to teach me. I do not have to have people, and I use the term perfect, meaning without error in that context, I don't have to have perfect people to encourage me. Every Bible preacher, teacher I have ever sat under has been a flawed person in one way or another. As I've had the privilege and with some of them to walk with them as, as one who's learned from them and as their friend and in a peer situation later on, I have seen some of those flaws. I, I think of Dr. Evans. I came as a very young man into Bible college. He was the college president. Later, I got to interact with him more as I worked some of the administrative offices. And then when I first invited him here and he came to preach at one time, and then he came back each year, and then we were finally to a point where, where we would call and we would talk. And, and there were times we got to spend together. And I saw a man who had all the frailties of a man, probably, no, not probably, even sharing with in confidence, decisions he regretted, decisions he was happy about, a long life lived, and yet 
I don't have to have somebody flawless to, to, to lead me. You say, why is that important, preacher? It's, it, it, we have to allow people to help us. And God's put them there. Now you get somebody who starts to sow doubt about the Word of God. It's into that as far as influence me. You get somebody who wants to take people away from a, a strong belief in the Word of God. That's part of the ways. And I've parted ways with people and I didn't make a big show of it. I don't do that a big show. I just step back and say, no, I'm not going that way. But we need, if we're going to come to perfection, we've got to allow those who are work in our life that God's put there to do a work in our life. There are some of you I could help you if you'd let me be your pastor. I am the pastor of this church and God put me here. The church body at that time recognized that calling and voted me in. I have operated here and been here for 28 years as your pastor and I've served you faithfully. But you decide. In fact, you're the only one who can decide. I could never decide it for you and it would be presumptuous for me to. I desire to be your pastor and help you. Not to make your decisions for you. Not for you to have to come to, for me, to me for all your things, but to pastor you, to, to shepherd you, to guide you, to teach and to help you and to love you. That's why I desired it. But you have to decide to let me do that. I have things after 40 years of serving the Lord and I have things after having been a God-called man all these years. I have things that can offer you from the Word of God, but you have to let me help you. If you need somebody who's flawless to do that, I will not be able to. If you need somebody that you may agree with about everything that comes along and you are needing somebody you can walk, first of all, you're in danger if you, if you have to have that. Second thing is, I would never be able to fulfill that. But if you'll let a man who by biblical definition is a God called pastor, actually cares about the people he preaches to, if you let me, I can help you. And so it is. You have teachers in this church, all flawed, and yet all able to offer something that can be a help and a blessing to you. People who will come here. People who will preach behind this pulpit. People who will interact with you and try to help you. Let those who are given in your life to be a blessing to you, let them be a blessing to you. And as you grow in your maturity... You'll have the stability of the Word of God. You say, well, what if I do that? I put all my trust in somebody. Well, you're not doing things very biblically if you put all your trust in some person. And then also, if you're learning to mature, and and it it would help you in your maturity with the Scripture, you will know when something's going off track. You'll see it. And you'll also be able to discern between a wobble, which all people get at some point or another, and someone who's changing direction on you. But I've... All of that point I'm going to give you. Um, Then, what is this perfect man? As I said to you earlier, I would come back to it. He's perfect or complete and proportional. Look in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, that's what brings us together, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man. We understand Jesus Christ is the perfect man, but as we become more like Him, we become more perfect. And to the measure of the stature, look at the statement, of the fullness of Christ. If it's said of Christ, He doeth all things well. 
It said in the Old Testament in a reference in the Song of Solomon, which ends up being a reference towards, it's a messianic reference towards Jesus. I love this. He is altogether lovely. I, I love that phrase. Not only is the, the, each part lovely, but the summation of the whole, when you put it all together, it comes together properly. You ever see something that just doesn't fit? You say, well, that by itself's okay, and that's okay, but those two things together don't fit. You wonder about it. <laughs> it's perfect. It's complete and proportional. I mentioned this morning, and I tell you again tonight, God wants us to show Jesus Christ to people. He wants us to witness with our words, but He also wants us to show the life of Christ in, in our life, what we do and how we behave. He wants it to be a portrait of Himself. I got to thinking about two different things that are out there as far as artwork goes. One's a portrait, and the other's a caricature. So, what is that? Well, you say, I had an uncle who was a real caricature. No, that's... <laughs> may have been, but that was his personality. <laughs> a portrait is an attempt to give an accurate or lifelike representation of a person. The purpose of a portrait is to show accurately the appearance of that person so that if someone were to see that portrait and then have never met the person and then that person would cross their path, they'd say, hey, that was the painting of you. You could tell it's supposed to be lifelike. Uh, the better quality it is, the more lifelike it will be in every nuance of it. Um, a portrait's purpose is to actually represent someone who, uh, who a person may or may not have met or someone who is not there. It's a portrait of them. It looks so lifelike, is something you might hear somebody say. It does, it does that. Well, that looks so lifelike. Or someone who knew the person would say, it looks just like him. Those are compliments. A really good portrait catches the nuances of expression that are so much a part of our identity. It's, it's often an expression of the face. It's a, uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a turn of the mouth. It's, it's, a, it's a, an expression of the eyes that, that represent. I, I was young when my, when my mammal Morris passed away, but what I remember about her, besides the bun on top of her head, no, not like, you know, food, but they, the hair was up here. And I couldn't believe it the one time she took that thing out. My mamma's hair came down to here on her. I was a little kid and she pulled that out and she was getting ready one night and we were down at the house of Katie and it went... <laughs> the land of Goshen. <laughs> Two things struck me with that. One is, how did you get that much hair in that size of a thing? Because it wasn't thin hair. The second thing is, she must have a strong neck. It's a lot of hair up there. The thing I remember about her, though, besides that, was her, was her eyes. She was a lady who laughed easily. She'd seen a lot of heartache. Uh, you didn't raise up a family of actually 10 children uh, because Charles died in infancy, but 11 children. You don't bear 11 children and, and raise 10 of them on a uh, hard scrabble little place in eastern Kentucky. Some of you have seen it. Um, 
You don't do that and it'd be easy. My mamma was a person who took care of people with that illness. Uh, typhoid hit the area. And she was the one person, Myrtle's her name, that would go to all the families to care for them when they were ill. She never got it. Her family never got it. Of course, we understand that's a waterborne disease. Um, but I remember her eyes like that. Her husband, uh, Poppy, as they called him, was, was crippled most, his, most of the adult life. And pulled it. But that twinkle in the eyes. So a good portrait catches the nuance. Now here's about it. We want to be a portrait of Christ. Talking about and to a perfect man, we want to be a portrait of Christ. We want to catch the whole thing. I remember a person I knew in another ministry, not here. They were well known for their witnessing. And I believe that they were a fervent witness. I believe it was their heartbeat. But the last I knew of factually, and, and this has been, they've, they've long since went to be with the Lord, but they declared financial bankruptcy two or three times. Can I say that our God needs a better full portrait than that? It's a wonderful thing to be a witness. It's a good thing to be a witness. But what kind of witness would we be with those with whom we transact, with whom we do business if we are so sloppy in our finances that not learning a lesson once, maybe we made some bad decisions or you can get wiped out by medical things, they can take you down. But if that's a behavior pattern, what kind of witness have we been? Can I say at that time we're not an accurate portrait? Seeing people very diligent in one area but totally neglect another. And I mean not just the fact one tends to be a little strength area, but to total negligence all their times but in one area. That is not a good portrait. That's a caricature. Caricature, have you ever seen them? They're the funny drawings. Where the usually reasonably talented but somewhat sadistic artist <laughs> has the ability to look at you and find out what would really look funny if we just made it either disproportional in 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 its uh, attention or disproportional by its its uh, absence, either by excess or absence. A caricature takes the features of a person and exaggerates certain points. Some people are easy targets for it. You get the lips, the eyes, the nose, the forehead, the chin that's not really there. And an Adam's apple. You know, a nose, if you swim on your back, they give shark warnings. It's like a dorsal fin. Um, they... <laughs> even talking about it we get a bit carried away don't we you see what it does <laughs> you talk about caricature it just totally ruins the discipline in place it's kind of meant to but what happens is why a caricature works and what it does is it Overemphasizes or underemphasizes, it goes disproportional. You, you, you don't have a caricature is not a picture of a face and the eyes are missing. That's just weird and spooky. Okay, 
A caricature is not a, a face and half of it's gone. That's Picasso. A caricature will tend to have all the parts are there. They're just really out of proportion. Now, if you think you're looking at a caricature and it's a portrait, then just be nice to that person. Um, If you didn't know the person of whom that caricature was made, you might not get it. And you might not recognize them if you saw them shortly after you saw that caricature. But if you knew the person and knew what they were supposed to look like and you saw a caricature of them done, have you ever seen them doing them like at fairs or something where they're doing them out in public? You say, yeah, I always didn't have one of those done. Okay, you go stand where there's a lot of people going along and have them draw you funny looking and enjoy yourself. Um, I don't exactly understand the draw of that. I don't want to know. If I want that experience, I'll go down just I'll go down the midway a little farther and find those weird mirrors. Okay? And I'll go from being the hulk to the bulk according to which one I stand in front of. Okay? Look like dwarf or you know, look like a giant or whatever, have a long neck like a giraffe, the only way I've ever had a neck in one of those mirrors. Um, and so it is if we're a caricature. If we're disproportional, if we, if we are all one thing without growing in a full body of what we're supposed to be, we become a character of Jesus Christ. And it's not reasonable to expect that someone could see what the Savior is supposed to look like by looking at us. And whereas... With a portrait, if we were to say, boy, it looks just like them, it would be a compliment if it's well done. For a caricature to, caricature to say that would not be a compliment. Instead, we might find ourselves saying this about the person who was drawn. I wonder what they think of that. If you go, you pay money, somebody does a sin, chalk or whatever, and you walk away, hey, look at this. And it's got you looking whatever. Now notice... Having gotten a little older and a little wiser, I'm not pointing out the susceptibilities of some of you to caricatures. I've not tried to illustrate this. You say, why? Because I've got better sense than I used to have. But there are features which lend to this. Now, watch this. If we look at it, we'd say, I wonder what they think of that. Suppose I came out of there and, and suppose I were a person uh, that, that had a very, 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 uh, uh, a little bit of a recessive chin, which I don't have, but if I had a little bit of a recessive chin and I come out with a caricature that just takes it completely away, you know how they'll do it? Suppose I'm a person whose ears are, are, are a little, little more, uh, more substantial than perhaps I would want. Is that nice? Um, and I come out and they've got me drawn like this. <laughs> Look like I'm going to have to strap them back to ride my bicycle. <laughs> so my mind said, well, I wonder how it feels about that because if I was already, you know, self-conscious about that, well, if you're self-conscious, why are you getting a caricature done? That's just dumb. Um, 
But if I was already self-conscious of it, this would make it worse. Are we a portrait of Christ in our behavior day by day, or are we a caricature? Does your family have trouble seeing who Jesus is because all they've ever seen is a caricature from those who are supposed to represent? Do they see you carry a portrait while you're at church? Then when you get home, the caricature comes out. May God keep us from that. Then, not only is it someone who's allowed those who God's given to work in their life, they're, they're perfect, they're complete, proportional, but notice verse 14, they're not children. That we henceforth, I like that. From this point forward, regardless of what has happened before, from this point forward, we be no more children. What is this? Unstable? That's what it talks about there. Be no more children tossed to and fro. A perfect person is not unstable. Thinking what was said um, when, when uh, Israel was, was blessing his sons, he says, Reuben, the beginning of my excellency, of my might and strength, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. And stability will keep you from excellence. Well, there's illustrations I could give you, but let me go on. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. There's no grounding. There's no substance. There's no weight to them, if you will. They're unstable. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. And notice that that wind of doctrine is by the slight of men. That's, that's, that's the idea of almost like people do illusions or magic tricks. You know, watch this hand. They do something else here. That's the idea of what they do. And these people are... Lying in wait to deceive. There are folks who want to make merchandise of the people of God. They do this on purpose. They set out to do it. They're very slick at what they do. And you fall prey to it. One moment you believe this. The next moment you believe this. Someone comes into the church. The Bible talks about men who have crept in unawares. I so want to preach a sermon entitled Creeps in the Church. Seriously. The Bible uses the word about people creeping in. I pray one of these days God's going to let me preach about creeps in the church. Because there's some creeps in the church. And um, they creep in unawares. That's, that's Bible terminology. They crept in unawares. What did they do? They, they came in without causing a big ruckus. They come in, kind of fit in, and then they get you off to the side. Here, here's their language. Here's how creeps talk. Here's their language. Well, I, I know Pastor means well, and, and he knows a lot of things, but he, he, he hasn't studied much on this one thing. And see, that one thing's the only thing they know, and it's wrong because it's the only thing they know. When you only know one thing, you know that one thing well. What you know and you think you know well, you don't know well. You're wrong on it. See, preacher, how can you say that authoritatively? That's how I can say that. Biblically, I can say that. Because right doctrine will always fit the body of this entire book. It's not one thing that you happen to find that you can YouTube and somebody out there agrees with you. YouTube may be very useful learning how to fix things or maybe even venture into uh, projects where you shouldn't have been and it'll help you. But not a great place to go to uh, establish your doctrine. I think that this King James Bible is a whole lot better. And so they get tossed to and fro but the way these creeps talk when they come in they, they're, they're like well let's you know and he means well but 
Well, he's fed you as far as he can, but let, let me give you some meat. A group trying to teach him in tribulation rapture and different things. Uh, I remember a couple of those fellows approached me and they said, are you open to some real strong truth? I said, I'm not open to anything from you. Somebody approaches me that way. I'm out of here. Man, that's, that's, a wrong, that's a wrong approach. So what's this mature, perfect, they're not children. Listen, statement. God needs grown-up people to do grown-up work. Look around. Look where our world is. Look where our country is. We need some grown-up people to do some grown-up work. It's not... Hey, playtime Christianity is not going to work in America anymore. It never has, but we're getting pushed against the wall with it. Playtime Christianity is not going to work. God needs some grown-up people to do some grown-up work and take on the responsibilities that the grown-up supposed to take on with the strength that the grown-up supposed to have. So not children. Then, look in verse 15. I love this. I was going through here. I thought, God, help me with this. I really, day by day, want to help with this. Look in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. You see that? We may grow up into Him in how many things? All things, which is the head, even Christ. I put this down. He wants us to have balance and strength. He wants us to have the balance of speaking the truth in love. Let's take a very strong biblical stance and let it be so biblical that it's taken in love. Gentleman that uh, visited this morning when he was talking to me some after the service and he had asked about things and at the church stayed open, different things. I said, I want you to understand something. I said, my objective was not and is not and has never been to flaunt something against an authority. To, to do. I said, my objective is very simple. I want to be obedient to what I believe the Bible teaches I'm supposed to do as a pastor. That's it. It's not any more complicated than that. It's not any other nuance beyond that. Take that at face value. My goal has been and is, and by God's grace, I want it to stay to do what I am supposed to do as a pastor to shepherd this church and lead it. That's very simple. And by the way, that ought to be enough to keep me on my knees and keep me busy, near as I can tell. You speak the truth in love. What is it's balance? I know. For some of you, you say that and there are kind of a trigger in your mind because there are some people who advocated stepping back from revealed truth and stepping back from a firm stance on the Word of God by throwing that word around. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this type of thing, speaking the truth in love. I'm talking about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Why? So that we will do and be as we ought to be a portrait of Christ, a perfect man, not one part developed to the detriment of others. Do you realize in your physical body that overtraining and overbuilding certain parts of your body can damage the other if there's not a proportionality? As the stresses, the pressures pull against each other. Um, can I say to you also, most Americans aren't in danger of hurting themselves in that, in that area. It's not a major, major concern for the average American. And then let me say to Aaron, look in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. So everything comes as it should. 
and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. There you are. The body actually is taking care of itself and it, it, the proportionality allows it to operate properly. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part. In other words, each, each has its own thing it's supposed to do. It's supposed to accomplish. What's the sum total of what happens then? Look what it says. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the body works with itself to help itself to be able to be stronger and to go on further to perfection. That's exactly what's supposed to be going on. I am supposed to do the work of, uh, well, I'm supposed to do the work of an evangelist as a pastor also, but I'm supposed to do the work a pastor is supposed to do. That's what I'm doing. That's my calling. I am not supposed to do the work that you're supposed to do as the body. And you are to edify one another in love. You're to build one another in love. And as you proportionally begin more and more doing that, and I'm seeing it, you will find that the body will get stronger and more people will be reached. I'm to guide and teach and put into you the tools that you need to do what you're supposed to do as a body where you help one another. Where it's not waiting, oh, I hope I can get a hold of the pastor. No, you can help one another. And the pastor will be there. And he'll, he'll try to help you every way he can. That's right. And that doesn't produce a dependency on you, from you, on a person. He'll try to help you. But, as the body increases, then the body will be able to do more and more as it ought to do. Here's the statement I put down with that. What is the saying of a perfect Christian is able to be part of growth and building. Not everyone has the same, uh, same duty, the same ability, or even the same uh, necessity. Then um, the Bible teaches that when, when uh, the Lord gave Paul to talk about the body and you know, the, the eye and the ear and the, how that we need all these different things. You don't all have the same giftings. You don't all have the same, uh, the same function within the body, but all are necessary. And we need all parts to be healthy. And what happens is the perfect Christian, the complete mature Christian, gets to be a part of something that's actually wonderful. And that's called investing in people and helping people to become better than they would have been. Lifting people and helping them to grow. And as we do that, we will find a fellowship with Christ that you don't get to have any other way. A lot of good teaching there. Let me pray with you. All right, Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for this passage. Lord, may we be being perfected by you. May we be open to it. May we do our part and, uh, and what is ours to do and, and uh, take as our, our responsibility. Lord, I pray your people will have a heart um, to be a portrait of you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Why don't you come? First note invitation. A lot of people come tonight. And, Ask God, I'll tell you a good thing tonight, ask God to start the perfecting work in you and yield your heart to Him to do this. Why don't you come? This is something for our senior saints to do. This is something for our youngest to do. This is for men. This is for ladies. This is for seasoned saints who've walked with God for years, this is something for new believers.
perfecting, going forward and in completeness. Thank you.